0: All right, men, I'm going to steal you from your tables. A few few housekeeping items before we jump into our our teaching time. I want to remind you guys about the the men's prayer breakfast coming up on November the 4th. Uh, That's an environment for all of you and for your sons, if you have them. Uh, If you've got men in your life who who don't know the Lord, that can be a very easy environment to invite them to, um, you know, introduce them to church. Hey, come, we're going to have breakfast and pray together um so uh it's it's free you just got to register let us know you're coming so we can prepare um and if you are, are not a part of the planning group that helps organize that we do have uh, a small group of men that, that help and uh i'm sure they'd be glad to, to have some extra help so feel free to reach out to me i can connect you with them if you'd like more info on that um uh, that's november the fourth uh saturday we do eight to nine thirty um on saturday morning Uh, Pretty early, still let you have your day, but uh, not too early that you have to set an alarm. Well, you might have to. I I don't know. I'm a morning person. Eight o'clock. I've always been awake. I've never slept until eight o'clock in my whole life. Um, uh, One other thing, uh, we mentioned this last week, but uh, Buford Head Start, uh, the the, uh, preschool organization right here down the street from us that so generously lets us use their parking lot. uh, They're looking for volunteer readers, um, so if you would be interested in doing that, that's a daytime Thing 10:30 to 11 a.m. Uh, so I know most of your jobs may prohibit you, but if you have interest, let me know. We'll, we'll get you connected with that. And then, last but not least, I, I sent out some emails over the weekend uh, related to Ezekiel Beck, the the son of uh, Pastor Jared and his wife Hannah. I wanted to give you guys an update. If you've been tracking that story, uh, you may have already seen this, but um, he is doing a little bit better. Uh, as you know, when he was born, his his state was so fragile that we were all, you know urgently concerned. And I would still say we're urgently concerned, but um, yesterday, uh, and the doctors don't even really have an explanation for it, but his lungs are improving. Um, they've been able to slowly, uh, t- last night and then today, they're, they're weaning him off um, uh, his, his full oxygen and, and some of the medications that he's on. He, he, he needs surgery. He needs a, a pretty vital surgery for him to survive. Um, related to some some gut issues, um, but he can't have that surgery until his lungs can be on um, can can handle the surgery. So, um, man, I keep praying. I mean, I, Genesis has so transformed my prayers as I prayed for him. You know, if God can speak all this to existence, he can he can speak these lungs into he can speak it all right. Um, and I keep begging him to do that. And, and so far, he's been doing these small incremental changes. Um, but there are changes to be celebrated, so I just want to encourage you guys to please keep praying for him, keep playing, praying for the Beck family, um, and, and let's keep seeking the Lord's intervention in Ezekiel's life um, so that he can have a long and and uh, and happy life and, and one day be in a men's environment learning God's Word. So um, towards that end, let me pray for him and start our time that way. Um, God, we come to you as, as creatures, Lord, completely unable to in any way help little Ezekiel, um, which is why we turn to you, the Creator, the, the one who uh, speaks molecules into existence and, and galaxies and, and uh, the cosmos into reality, Lord. You, you can change things with a word, and um, that's precisely what we ask you to do in his life, Father. He has lungs that, um, that have to pull in oxygen to his body, Lord, only only you have created that function. We can't, we can't solve that problem without uh, the lungs that you've created. And, and we need you to help his lungs work. We need you to um, fix them, Lord. And then we need you to, uh, Lord, heal his, his, his gut and that the things that are happening anatomically there, Lord, either miraculously or, or through surgery, God, I pray that you would, um, Father, heal little Ezekiel, allow him to Uh, grow into a a young man who loves you, an an older man who follows you, uh, a father, a husband who will raise his family to love you as well. God, we pray life over this boy um, and we know you're capable. So uh, would you do it? Would you uh, provoke us to be a praying church in in this season? And um, we trust you, Lord. As we dive into Genesis 2, God, I pray you've got our time. Help me to speak what's true. Help us to see glorious truths that can shape our hearts in profound ways. We love you, God. Amen. All right. Um, Theme overview: Uh, We got four themes we've been tracking. Anybody know them? Blessing, Blessing, great, sin and judgment, grace, Grace. Grace. and covenant. covenant. Good, you've got them memorized. I love it. Uh, Next week, actually, beginning your studies this week, you're going to see all four. Playing out, and from here forward, we're going to keep seeing these four. I know this start we've, we've sort of been mainly focusing on blessing, um, but please keep tracking these. I promise you, especially as we get into the spring, these things just become so rich with meaning the, the longer we keep our eyes fixed upon them. But uh, blessing, we absolutely see some stuff happening here as, as Moses sort of zooms in on the sixth day as God creates man and woman and sort of tells us the specific details of how that all unfolded. And we're just seeing God bless mankind with the gift of life, with the gift of marriage with the gift of purpose and work and um, God's just bestowing gifts upon his uh, creation upon mankind in a very significant way. We're g- going to tr- track that in our teaching time in just a moment, but, um, but absolutely it's present. You also, uh, in, in this week we are sort of concluding this initial blessing that God gives to his creation, which next week is all going to Uh, begin to completely uh, fall apart. So as as mankind slips into sin in Genesis chapter 3, that blessing is going to switch to its uh, anti-antithesis, the anti-theme there cursing we'll see that word show up three times next week so uh, just keep your eyes on that sin and judgment um uh you know again that's going to really show up next week but I will say here this week we do see the foundation of sin in the giving of the law did you notice that so God gives a command a prohibition a restriction as we just talked about at our tables and in that we see the foundation for sin sin cannot exist apart from the law of God it is God's uh, drawing of lines that allows us to cross over those lines. So, uh, in that, we are seeing uh, we are seeing sort of the foundations for where sin will come. It gives man this first opportunity um, to either live righteously on this side of the line or to cross the line in, in, into sin. We'll see next week what he does. Um, grace uh, amidst the corruption of sin. You know, God showing grace to His creation. I do see uh, some grace in this passage. Uh, in the giving of the woman. You know, man is alone and God sees that and he notes that it's not good and he enters into that mess or into that lacking, that, that not good thing uh, with a solution. I think it's just a demonstration of his kindness, his goodness, his, his gracious character. Um, and then Covenant, we really don't see that this week, but, um, but like I said, that, that we'll pick up next week, so keep tracking those. Um, and, and this week, as far as uh, the, the content itself goes, this week we entered our first uh, generation section. So look at verse uh, 4, if you don't mind. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. That word generations is a really critical word uh, in the book of Genesis. You're going to see it appear ten more times. In the weeks to come. And scholars sort of agree that it stands as sort of a flag that Moses used to divide up the book. It's his structure, it's the the Hebrew word uh, toledot, it means generations or account. And it's sort of Moses flagging, hey, Chapter 1, chapter 2, kind of kind of like that, dividing up the book into structures. So uh, this first uh, Toledot section is going to carry all the way to the end of chapter 4, and it unpacks how sin entered the world. So even, you're going to notice this today, everything we're going to talk about in this first section in chapter 2 is really foundation building and introduction for what's going to happen next week. I mean, for us to fully appreciate how huge the fall of sin is for for man. When when Adam crosses that line, when Eve crosses that line into sin, we have to understand the beauty of what God created. And in chapter two, in every sense, Moses is building the beautiful world, building the blessing of of uh, mankind uh, living in God's ordered uh, world that He's created. He, he's showcasing uh, the full extent that God's blessed human life in order to show how horribly it goes wrong as a result of sin. So um, all that to be said, I'm going to structure our whole time today around that goodness, the goodness, the gifts that God has given to mankind um, in, uh, in His original state, in this, um, this perfect Eden that He's created for mankind to live in, so that we can, as we study this week, really see uh, how how horribly it all goes wrong um, in, in the days ahead. Uh, one, one other thing I want to note before we get into that, though, is um, some people, when they're studying uh, the book of Genesis, say uh, sort of bring up the question, what's going on in chapter 2? Because this almost feels like a whole second creation narrative. Did any of you feel that as you read it? Um, uh, some, you know, critical scholars will say this is evidence that Moses did not actually write this book, that multiple people wrote books and you just had an editor at some point putting different stories together. So Genesis one was one story, Genesis two is another story and, uh, and somebody just, just pushed them together. But, um, I absolutely disagree with that completely. I, I do, uh, agree that, that something distinct is happening in chapter two, but to me, it very much showcases, uh, the same author. He's still using the, the name of God changes. That's another reason why people think it shifts in in chapter one. It's all Elohim and now it becomes Yahweh Elohim, uh, the Lord God uh, rather than just God. Um, but I think all of that goes to underscore what Moses is doing. He's moving from God, the creator of the cosmos to, you know, father God, the creator of, of mankind. He's zooming in on that sixth day uh, to, to, sh- to showcase in a more, um, uh, detailed sense. What exactly was this uh, man and woman that God created in his image? Uh, how is that image meant to be the, uh, displayed in the world? Um, so all that to be said, here, here is how I want to structure our time. Four uh, gifts of God that we're meant to see that he's giving to mankind that are all going to be undone in the fall next week. So uh, gener- generosity of God on display. Number one, God gives man life. God gives man the gift of life. Um, Right here in in, uh, chapter 2, we get a beautiful description of how man was actually created. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 27, we're just told God created man. Three simple words, uh, no detail given. But Moses, in chapter 2, is giving the details. And what happened? He was formed out of the earth. God took the ground, which the Hebrew is really interesting here. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get into it in detail, but if you want to go study it, the name Adam actually comes from the word dust. Like God is, is uh, even showcasing there what Adam is. But, but he brings this physical matter together. He brings earth, carbon molecules, whatever else was there, and puts it together, forms the man. Um, and then he breathes life into that man. His very breath of God is what he breathes into this man, um, into his nostrils, we're told, uh, and the man became a living creature. I just love this. I think it's such a fascinating uh, description of of how we came to be um, for a number of reasons. First, it just totally confronts the naturalistic, materialistic worldview. I mean, in one sense, we are matter. Like you know, scientists today, people who uh, reject uh, creation, reject God over the earth. They would say that man is just matter, and in a sense, they're right. We, we are matter, but we're not just that, right? We are, uh, we we are those those molecules. We are made out of dust, but we needed more than dust if we were going to be alive. And what did God do? He breathed that life into us. He breathed. I think that's the image of God on display. God is is with his breath, with his spirit. Putting spirit into us, putting soul into us, making us uh, more than just dust. We are different than rocks and stones and, and water molecules. Uh, and it doesn't take any sort of um, you know, complex thinking to realize that. We are, we are far more than that. And that comes from God's uh, giving of life here in, in Genesis chapter 2. Two things we see about life as He gives it it's dependent upon God. So God's the only thing that exists. And, and we're all derivative of that, everything that exists in this world. We talked about that the first week. But, uh, but without a doubt, uh, life is dependent upon God. He is, and everything else is because of Him. Um, our breath comes from His breath. It's just a beautiful display of our dependency. Um, and secondly, life is intimate. Uh, it's meant to be intimate with God. We're, we're to have this closeness with God. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're, our, our inception begins with God breathing air into our, our lungs. Like the closeness, a CPR kind of closeness. That's like like resuscitation kind of closeness. I mean, and then we're going to go on to see that uh, life was meant to be lived with God in the garden, that God's walking around in the cool of the day, that, that intimacy, closeness with God was the way life was supposed to go. So from the beginning, our lives are, are meant to be spiritually uh, spiritual, inherently connected with God in dependency and in intimacy. Um, Uh, life is given by God and sustained by God. Um, And you're going to see that corrupted in the fall. You know, he he gives the, the hint of it here. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Dying, you will die. I mean, uh, we're, we're told that this life that's given is going to fall apart in the, in the fall next week, um, which makes it really curious when Adam and Eve don't immediately die. We'll, we'll talk about that more next week. But, um, but yes, life is given here um, as a beautiful gift of God that will uh, fall apart next week. Uh, second gift I want to focus on. God gives man the gift of purpose. He gives man uh, this calling, this this responsibility that He's to have, which is to keep and to work the earth. He's he's created Him. He's formed Him from, from the dirt. He's given Him life. And now He bestows upon this man purpose. Uh, he is, verse 15 says, he's to work and keep the garden, and all of that um, comes into to form. You sort of see the first example of that in verses 19 and 20. If you want to look, that is where God begins to uh, bring animals to Adam, and he's to name the animals. Uh, in chapter 1, it's God that's naming everything. Now, suddenly in chapter 2, God is giving his dominion over to Adam, and he's calling Adam. We talked about this last week. He's calling Adam into this role as a, as a vice regent over creation. He's to do what God does, in a sense. Uh, God created creation, but then he placed man in this this regency place where he is to sort of express God's dominion in the earth. So Adam begins to do that by naming the animals. And and from the beginning, you know, God uh, sort of gives man, uh, what I want you to see here is this this ontological purpose, like uh, right right into his being, right into our being is this inherent design that we are to work. We are to uh, express dominion. Uh, fish are made for water. Birds are made for the air. Mankind is made for work. Uh, this is, this is like clearly a part of God's design. Uh, and, and we touched on it last week, as I mentioned. God has dominion over, over uh, creation. In creating mankind, He gives that dominion to His creation and calls them to, to work and keep it. And, and what I want you to notice is all of this predates the fall. The fall has not happened yet. Work was not a consequence of the fall. It was a part of our existence prior to the fall of mankind, prior to sin entering the world. And I believe this firmly because of that in, in heaven, in paradise, in eternity to come, we will work. It'll be different. I mean, you're going to see work is corrupted as a result of the fall part of the consequence of sin is that we will uh, work won't be the same as it was before but work was there before Uh, work is a good thing he has uh, God has given it to us as a purpose for our existence and as Adam steps into this cultivated world that God's created I mean not the whole world he's only God has only like cultivated the garden He's created the whole world, but then he's created this like cultivated, he's planted some plants it says and he, he forms this special place where Adam will be. As Adam steps into it and keeps that, as he sweats and, and makes that that garden you know keeps it from becoming wild again but, but keeps it cultivated, he's expressing God's uh, purpose of his life. He's expressing that dominion. he's imaging God well. when he steps, uh, you know, and brings that order into the untamed places of creation. He's expressing that dominion. He's, he's fulfilling his purpose. Um, all of this is a good thing that God has created for man. So a few implications of this, I just want to point out. I think we have time for this that I think are really interesting. One in this, I think we are given a theology of technology. Stick with me for a second. This is, this is really interesting to me, but, um, God has, has created creation, and then he's given mankind the role to go and discover, explore, bring the raw, untamed parts of creation into order, which means that it is a good thing when mankind like, you know, discovered coal and realized you can burn it and create energy. Uh, It's a good thing when mankind discovered copper and realized you can transport electricity. It's a good thing when mankind invented turbines and and created light bulbs and allowed light to happen when there's darkness. Because guess what? We get to read our Bibles and, and study this morning in the dark because mankind has exerted dominion over creation to make it light you know, technology and inventions, computers today, the ability to manage complex amounts of information and put uh, systems to work so that life is easier and life can thrive in places where it didn't before. All of that, mankind exerting dominion to create technologies that extend life. All of that is good. This is a part of what God created for mankind to do here in Genesis chapter 2. Um, it, it's a beautiful reality uh, that, that I think we're meant to see. So uh, technology is not a bad thing. Computers are not a bad thing. I mean, we can, we can take technology and make it evil, but inherently God created us to be this kind of discovery entrepreneurial thing. It's, it's that thing that's inside of you that when you were a little boy wanted to go be an astronaut. Like, I want to go see. I want to go explore. I want to go find something new and create something. Uh, you know, any of you who are woodworkers Uh, and maybe you take raw pieces of, of, of trees, God's creation, and turn them into beautiful tables or or furniture or things like that. That's, that's Genesis too. You know, this is, this is what God has made us for. Um, and it doesn't just have to be making tables. It can be you exerting, uh, dominion and, and, and purpose and work into a lot of different areas, but, but God's made us to work and to create things. Um, Another interesting uh, implication of all this is uh, here in Genesis 2, we see Scripture confronting modern-day environmentalism. Um, and I want to be careful here. Uh, I, I don't want to uh, offend anyone who is, you know, of the Green Party and <coughs> loves the earth. But, you know, that, that part of our national politics today is, uh, would say that the earth is everything. That Mother Nature is the supreme goddess and we should all worship her and venerate her and live our lives subordinate to her. We should sacrifice to make sure Mother Nature is well cared for. Um, But here in Genesis 2, we see, no, God gave the earth to us. We're to have dominion over her. We're to subdue her. We're to utilize her for the flourishing of mankind. The earth is a tool given to us by God for mankind's good. So, um, you know, it doesn't mean that we should crush the earth and exploit the earth and destroy the earth. We are called, Adam is told, to work it and to care for it, to keep it. You know, so we should, as we use the earth for mankind's good, we should contemplate how the earth will still exist for our children and our children's children. I mean, we. I'm not saying we should go crazy and just destroy the earth. That would be very bad. That would not be according to God's design. But God did not call us to sacrifice humanity in order to make the earth thrive. Like all this, you know, you hear sometimes these these conspiracy theories, or maybe they're true that, that there's these people that want to like reduce the global popul- population down to just 100 million people or 200 million people because that's what the earth should have. That is not God's design. God's design is not to kill humanity so that the earth can thrive. God's design was for the earth to support human life. Does that make sense? I hope, I hope that's clear. So, so the biblical vision for environment. Enviro- Environmentalism is not left or right. It's kind of in the middle. Like, God does not want us to destroy the earth, but He also doesn't want us to worship the earth. Um, so, just a little interesting insight there. Um, I'm going to hop to number three here uh, for the sake of time. Oh, vocation. I just want you to, to see that as well. Uh, it's going to fall apart in the fall. Um, the work that God has given us, the purpose that He's gifted us with here, is, is absolutely going to be corrupted. Um, number three God gives uh, man the gift of marriage. The gift of marriage. Um, verse eighteen is so interesting; it rings out like a, a clashing symbol in this text. You know, after chapter one, again and again, God set, has that repeated f- uh, refrain: uh, "God saw what He had made, and it was, yes, it was good." God affirms His creation is good again and again and again and again and again in chapter one. But here in chapter two, Moses again, whoever wrote chapter one is the same author of chapter two, no doubt. Um, The author intends for us to hear these words in verse 18. It is not good that man should be alone as a loud and astounding thing. Um, God sees Adam. He sees the life he's given him. He sees this purpose he's put on his existence. um, And yet, in all that glory that is absolutely good, uh, there's something not good. He's not supposed to do this alone. Now, be careful here. Uh, God is not saying that singleness is inherently bad. So any of you in this room who are not married, you know, God's calling here from Genesis 2 is not that you need to go get married. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say here. We know for a fact from 1 Corinthians 7 that singleness is absolutely a godly way to live. Uh, we also know that because Jesus was single He never sinned, so there's no sin in singleness. Uh, Paul was single. He was the most effective missionary that's ever lived. Uh, There's no sin in singleness. There's absolutely a way to be faithful and godly in singleness. So singleness by itself is not the, this is not good, that's happening in in chapter 2. Rather, I would say it's solitude. It's the aloneness that Adam is experiencing. It's the... uh, inability to talk with someone else, the inability to share his feelings, the inability to express himself, the inability to have someone else that he can image God with. Um, You know, he, he, and God brings this to his attention by bringing every animal before his eyes. You know, he's naming these animals and, and again and again, God is, is just sort of showcasing to Adam, there's nothing like you. You need something like you. He's, right here, we're seeing the foundations of our you know, theology of community, the truth that God created us not to be alone, but to have other people in our life, brothers and, and sisters and spouses who can, who can help us thrive spiritually. We need to be known. We're made for that. And I could talk about that all day. I'm a discipleship pastor. I know the, vita- uh, the vital need in our lives for community, for brotherhood. Um, but I, won't, I will give you this one quote, though, from one of my favorite theologians, Herman Bavinck. Uh, sort of summing up this idea, he says, it is not good for the man that he should be alone. He is not so constituted. He was not created that way. If any of you are, are, are uh, predisposed towards introversion and you're just like a loner and you'd rather sit in your room with a book, please take this to heart. This is critical. I'm glad you're here. It, it tells me that you want community. You're, you're building your lives around people, but, but you need to know that that instinct in your soul is not good. You were not created that way. His nature inclines to the social. He wants company. He must be able to express himself, reveal himself, give himself. He must be able to pour out his heart to give form to his feelings. He must share his awareness with a being who can understand him and can feel and live along with him. Solitude is poverty, forsakenness, gradual pining and wasting away. How lonesome it is to be alone. I just think it's a perfect way to sum up what God is is trying to say there. So uh, in that solitude, God enters. He gives Adam a gift, and it's the gift of marriage. He creates Eve out of Adam's rib, uh, which is just a fascinating... I wish I could could see that happen, because that's an interesting process there. Um, uh, And he brings Eve to Adam, and Adam bursts forth in poetry. This this roughneck you know farmer that God's let loose into the garden becomes a Shakespearean sonnet writer like he just he just sings out you know uh, at last you know here is bone of my bones flesh of my flesh he he writes the first the first poem uh, because he's seen this beautiful thing called called a woman. Um, and God brings them together. This is the very first marriage. Verse 24, when, when uh, this is described, is quoted multiple times in the New Testament, describing marriage. So right here, God is establishing the foundation for how human life will thrive in the world. Uh, he's establishing the first marriage. One man, one woman being united. Uh, and, and it's sort of summed up with this beautiful statement in verse 25, the man and his wife were naked, and they were not ashamed. Um, and all this is about to be destroyed. All this perfect harmony that got created in the first marriage is going to fall apart. But I just want to highlight the goodness there a little bit deeper before we conclude. Um, two parts of, of this gift that I think are, are really important. First, relational intimacy. You know, Marriage was created for unencumbered closeness between a man and his wife. Uh, this whole naked and, and not ashamed uh, is such a beautiful phrase. And I know we're all men, and so we're just focused on the naked part. and And absolutely, there's sexuality there. I mean, God created that. That's part of what was happening in Eden. But just for a moment, push past that for a second, because the bigger concept that I think is on display in there is the lack of shame. There's safety. The nakedness there isn't just sexual in nature. It is also vulnerable in nature. It's talking about being fully exposed, having nothing between you and your spouse, having an intimacy that's so deep that, that you can be exposed and not be ashamed. I mean, we, you know, to be fully known and to be fully loved is almost an impossibility in this world. We all long for that. That's the deepest longing of your soul. And it's only found in God through Christ. But it is what God created marriage to have, deep relational intimacy being fully seen by your spouse. And I just want to confront you with that because some of you may not live in a marriage like that. Some of you may like just have nothing but secrets and it's all tension and you just don't even talk or bring stuff forward. And, and because of that, sexuality is even really complicated because it's all filled with all the tension of your normal lives. That is not how God created your marriages to work. That is all the consequence of the fall we're going to see next week. God designed marriage to have relational intimacy, but not just that. He also designed it to have relational joy. You know, unencumbered closeness for sure, but also unencumbered joy. Um, That whole uh, naked and not ashamed, I think, also speaks to like this deep satisfaction in this relationship. They're close with each other and they're satisfied with one another. Uh, It's all good. There's no shame whatsoever. It's only joy. And the gender roles are already established. Like, that's, that's inherent in chapter 2. Man and woman were created distinctively. Man from the start was given headship and responsibility. Woman from the start was given this role of helper, uh, this, this important res- uh, role to be treasured and protected. Both have, have given this, been given this responsibility of dominion. None of it was bad. Feminism wasn't even a thought yet. Like, Eve would not have ever thought of it at all. God's design was good, and it was filled with joy for her. She was satisfied by what God had created. And, and misogyny wasn't a thing. Adam would have never thought about oppressing Eve. She was a gift to be treasured and enjoyed and, and uh, loved. Everything was good. That's what I want you to see. The, the roles that God created, uh, the, the unity that God created in marriage is a good design that had nothing but good things on display you know, right from the start. It all shifts because of the fall, but from the beginning it was not so. It was a gift meant to be enjoyed in this intimate, um, joyous state. Uh, One final gift to bring all this stuff home. And this is the only one that's not corrupted in the fall, but God gives man the gift of His Word. Uh, Here in this beautiful design He's made, in this beautiful creation He's created, He gives a command. He he speaks. And just like His Word established creation in chapter 1, now His Word is given as a gift to protect it. He tells mankind how He will enjoy this great, beautiful state in perpetuity. He must not eat from this one tree. Just one law was given, one simple command. Um, and and that, and it was given to protect everything God created, which is always what God's law does. God's law is not meant to be restrictive, it's meant to be liberating. Like, you know, it's not restrictive to tell a fish that he needs to stay in water. That is how he that's how he's freed, that's how he enjoys his life. You were made for that. You know, God's law is like that. It, 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 it falls in good places for us to show us how we can live freely within the bounds of God's creation. Um, and it's only one command at this point, designed to protect, but how quickly man resists the protection God offers him. How, how ready our hearts are to resist God's protection and to go try to figure out what life might exist on the other side of that line. And we're going to see next week there's nothing there. Wherever God's law falls for you men, Whatever parts of your heart are like, well, I think it might be better over there. There's nothing there. As you study this week, pay attention to that. That is exactly what unfolds. God's given his word as a gift to protect, to preserve life, to allow it to prosper. Um, And sadly, it all falls apart. So um, that's everything. Um, My biggest encouragement to you as men is to take to heart that part that we talked about, about purpose uh, and also about um, God's word, you know. I think I think as men we can be so passive. We can resist God's God's commands given to us uh, to step into uh, creation and provide dominion in the areas that are complicated in our lives. We need to we need to uh, seize that and step forward into it. Let me pray for us, God. We love you. I pray that you would help us to uh, live out our purpose. That we would not be lazy. We would not seek every opportunity we can to sit back into rest, but instead we would with with uh, hearts shaped by your word. We look at the the raw lumber in our lives and figure out ways to craft it into something beautiful, something useful. Lord, help us to uh, do that not just in our homes, but in our, in our workplaces, in, in our communities. God, I'm so thankful to live in a country like this and even studying history and seeing how the founding fathers just exerted dominion and created something really good that has allowed humanity to thrive in this nation for so many years, it, it breaks my heart to see the ways in which it's, it's falling apart. But would we be a generation that, that takes our role to create seriously, our role to uh, to work, to keep, to, to create thriving environments seriously? And would you allow our world to be well-shaped because of that? Let the good fruit come as a result of our hard work. So uh, lead us, guide us, protect us, and we continue to pray for baby Zeke. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. See you next week.